watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge November edition, in which a couple of homos and a guest review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we are going to talk about three movies in depth, three movies lightly. Uh, the first three will be Motherless Brooklyn, Harriet, and Waves. And then we'll do a deep dive into Marriage Story, Queen and Slim, and Honey Boy. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't it, though? Uh, that uh, that voice of affirmation you just heard is our guest. Uh, we uh, you guys are always asking for us, so we brought her back. Nah, uh, <laughs> fan favorite guest, mm-hmm. the one, the only, Ashley De La Torre. Hey, welcome back. Thank you. It's so great to have you. Thanks for making time to hang out with us again. Of course. And uh, it's and about for, that time of the year. It's about that time. <laughs> I know. I know. It truly is. Yeah. Last year on this time, we got to have you a few times, and now it's Oscar season, so we need to know what you're liking and what you're not liking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, how would you how would you rate the year overall so far, movie wise? Um, very different selection than I saw in 2018. Um, but I've had actually a really good experience with movies this year. We were talking earlier about like terrible stuff and I honestly haven't seen thank god a bunch of movies that I didn't like but also I'm kind of picking and choosing mm-hmm. you know whatever I want to see or whatever um you know I took one for the team last year and watched The Star is Born and some other <laughs> stuff that I didn't want to see which I will do also this year I just haven't gotten there yet but um with The Star is Born <laughs> right you're like right. I will watch it again <laughs> <laughs> but with stuff you know award season stuff that I don't necessarily right. want to see myself um, but I've had a good, a good year so far. What's the biggest awards movie that you're just like, I don't want to have to watch that, but I'm going to make myself watch it? Probably, well, I don't know if Waves is on the radar for awards, but mm. I don't really care to see Waves. Um, Harriet, just because for reasons, but <laughs> um, I'll watch it. And then... Um, Oof, I already saw the Joker and I didn't really want to see that. <laughs> Joker is the one this year. Yeah, I think. Joker, I think that it's, was the one for me. It's the um, Star is Born of 2019. <laughs> no, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the, a Star Ooh. is Born of 2019. And I only say that because Joaquin Phoenix was better at acting than Lady Gaga <laughs> Uh, I mean, where's the lie? He still couldn't save the movie for me, though. But, um, yeah, I think as far as, like, the Hollywoodness of it all, I think... Mm. The La La land yeah, of it? Yeah, exactly. The mm. La La Land and then A Star is Born and now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that's more of that nature. Um, but, yeah, I think Joker is probably the Roma of this year. The Roma. That is a hot take. I <laughs> think that no one before has compared Joker uh, to Roma. No. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. That is, that is. When that she is. dances on those steps, though, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I cried. I went to Mexico City and reenacted it myself. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Uh, well, since we do have so many movies to talk about this month, uh, we are going to dive right into it. As Rebecca said, we're going to get started with three movies 
in which for which only two of us have seen them and it's going to vary by title the math is complicated it's very stick with me this section will be easy because two of them are are two that you listed as movies you don't want to see so that means you haven't seen them which are harriet and waves yes so we'll start with the one that you did see uh which is motherless brooklyn okay um lionel esrog is a lonely private detective who doesn't let tourette syndrome stand in the way of his job (laughs) Is that how it's described? Yes. <laughs> Bro, they do it in Norton so dirty. Yes, uh. <laughs> Gifted with a few clues and an obsessive mind. Oh, my God. Um, Lionel sets out to solve the murder of Frank Minna, his mentor and his only friend. Scouring the jazz clubs and slums of Brooklyn and Harlem, Esrog soon uncovers a web of secrets while contending with thugs, corruption, and the most dangerous man in the city. What in the Carmen San Diego Disney Channel movie <laughs> description is that of Motherless Brooklyn? I feel like it also is uh, QAnon. It's also QAnon. It's also the same premise as QAnon. <laughs> All right. So this is one that Ashley, Ashley and I are the ones who've seen this one. Mm-hmm. And you saw it before I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were texting me about it when you saw it at Mill Valley, mainly because you had stories about how the Q&A went. Yes. <laughs> because Mr. Norton was in attendance and was as prickly as ever, as yes. it sounds like. But I loved it, though. See, yeah. I wasn't familiar until you told me about like his reputation oh, for yeah. being that way. But I like that he was being film head assy as I described <laughs> it. And all these people were just so annoyed by the way he was describing his own film. And I'm like, please calm down, because he's like, I loved it. I loved Ed Norton in that. Yeah in that space because didn't you say that people kept being like oh your movie is like this and he's like disagree he's like absolutely not <laughs> but they were wrong like right. and that's why I loved him so much because I'm like right. thank you so much for saying like these people who are film snobs are totally wrong in what they think your movie is right he's not doing the usual play nice thing where he's like well that's one way of looking at it yeah that's that no I hadn't thought of it that way he's just like nope yeah <laughs> next <laughs> He is exactly. giving them the thank you next. Right, exactly. I loved it. Uh, so, and uh, this movie is uh, Edward Norton's, I believe, second directorial feature mm-hmm. after a romantic comedy, strangely called Keeping the Faith. <laughs> Love uh, that movie. With Jenna Elfman, I and believe. And Ben Stiller. And Ben Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> is, it a, yeah. is it a favorite of it's yours? It's that thing where, you know, it's like a rabbi, a priest, and Jenna Elfman <laughs> go into a bar. <laughs> a rabbi, a priest, and a crazy Scientologist. <laughs> <laughs> go, go play one-on-one. Wait, Tom Cruise is in it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jenna Elfman. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Jenna Elfman, one of the craziest uh, okay. of uh, of the Scientologists. But uh, so, and this is quite a pivot away from keeping <laughs> keeping the faith. It is. I would say this is his first time directing his own like passion project because he, you could tell by even the way he was talking about it, how much he cared about the script in the movie. Now we <clears throat> right before we started to tape, Rebecca had to watch the trailer for it just to get up to speed on what we were going to talk about. And um, and it was triggering for me because I remember this trailer was played at the Alamo Draft House before every movie I saw for like three months in a row. No. And the trailer is so cringy. Yeah. Uh, and Rebecca, you chose to not finish the trailer. No, I, I it, it started off with exactly what you think it's going to. And uh, and then it continued to, I don't know, um, feed that nonsense premise. And I what did I need to see? You guys will yes. fill in the gaps. Yeah, so I think, so I was telling Jason earlier that I haven't been watching uh, trailers for a lot of movies that I've been seeing. I also haven't been reading about them before going to see them, and I think that's how I'm going to continue to watch movies, because Mm -hmm. I saw the Motherless Brooklyn trailer before I watched Parasite, 
Um, And I had already seen Motherless Brooklyn And I was telling my friends like Do not watch the Motherless Brooklyn uh, trailer If you plan on seeing the movie They literally showed the entire movie Mm. Not only do they show the entire movie But they also really front load it With all of his tics Yeah 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 Mm. Because like watching the trailer If that yeah Like for me it's hard to watch Like and I think that it's Like it's it it is what it is, but I think that if it if that is going to make you uncomfortable, which I think for, I think probably for most people it is uncomfortable to watch. For me, watching that trailer, I'm like, I can never watch this movie if he's literally doing that every goddamn second, mm-hmm. which is what the trailer makes it look like. But the movie's not like Mm-mm. that. In the movie, like he just has these like little it like flares up here and there. But I would say probably like I don't know. 80%, 85% of his dialogue is completely tick-free. <laughs> it is. And it's just a character uh, without that. Yeah. But watching the trailer, you would think all he's doing is going, Frank, Frank, Frankity, Frank, 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 yeah, and right. everybody's like, yeah, uh, over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. So it, it does itself a disservice. And I don't know if it was like, whoa, we have to show how we're different, so we're going to lead with all of his ticks. But like, nobody wants to see no. that. Oh yeah, it was that was not good. So I don't mean, watch the Motherless Brooklyn trailer. Just watch the movie. So yeah. having seen the trailer and knowing that those sections are cut from the movie, mm-hmm. um, regardless of how uh, accurate they are of a representation of the frequency of his tics, mm-hmm. um, this is a movie that he wrote and directed and he stars in. Um, how does this character's Tourette syndrome, what does that bring to the movie other than it just... Because what it seems like is like a weird, exploitative yeah. thing that someone wrote in for no purpose if, the, if this was written by someone with Tourette's that wanted to share the experience of what mm-hmm. it would be like the blah 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 uh-huh. right like that that's the that would be great mm-hmm. what does this add other or is it just like he's trying to act um it's just another an actory thing an to actory do. thing to do I mean I think it makes him more of an underdog um because it makes him like he it further positions him as somebody who's on the margins um, who really counts on the people who he has relationships with. Like it, it further underscores why he needs this Bruce Willis character to like lift him up because like his Tourette's uh, make him an outcast. Mm-hmm. And so I think it does serve a dramatic purpose in that regard um, because he's not he's 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 disadvantaged mm-hmm. um, from where everyone else is starting off at. Yeah, I def- it didn't feel like an actory thing. And I think going into it, when I when the movie first comes on, you kind of get introduced to his Tourette's very quickly. And I was like, oh, it's, I thought of what you were thinking. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be this like moment of, I'm an actor. But it quickly turned to what Jason was explaining. But also, it kind of makes him smarter than everybody in the mm-hmm. movie and the way that it plays out. They kind of turn it into that. Um, just because I think even in the trailer, he says, you know, I remember every single detail, blah, blah, blah. And because it's like this crime noir-ish type movie, um, <clears throat> it does kind of help him out a lot having the Tourette. So I think it kind of puts a positive spin on it a little bit. It's not like, oh, I have this thing and it's just not related at all. It's kind of, they kind of twist it a little bit. And it's and it's also not the focus of the character. It's like, it's not like he's you know he has Tourette's it's like no I am this person and I am dealing with Tourette's you know it's like it doesn't really define the character yeah because you know he uh it's it's just sort of this extra hurdle he has to face Mm -hmm. while he's trying to solve this case and like bring Mm -hmm. justice for his mentor and it's not and his character kind of takes it in stride his character has like a sense of humor about mm-hmm. it like he, he yeah there's a lot of humor <laughs> yeah like he's like uh you know like he's exasperated by it he's like you know it's like the joker just handing out laminated cards left and right to people <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like exactly. sorry 
Um, so then the trailer really does do it a disservice. It does, no, it does. Really yeah, when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh my it god, nobody's going to watch this horrible, horrible trailer. Yeah, it's almost like they got a note from the studio that was like. We need to make absolutely sure everyone knows that if they watch this movie, they're going to have to watch him do these ticks. Let's put them all in the trailer and just get out ahead of it. Mm-hmm. But in so doing, they made it look unwatchable. Did you like Rain Man? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, so that's that piece of it. Uh, Alec Baldwin is in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, I feel like he's really doing a variation on his Trump character in this movie. Like... I felt like what appealed to him about this character, he plays sort of like the heavy. He plays the guy who's ultimately sort of like the, the most, yeah, like the, the most powerful, fearsome guy. And it's a very, it feels like Alec Baldwin saw a very clear kind of Trump analogy mm-hmm. in that character and that storyline. Did you think that? <clears throat> I think so. And so somebody brought that up at Mill Valley. Mm. Um, but I like the way you're phrasing it as Alec Baldwin saw yeah. and played it out that way um, because Ed Norton quickly shut that down. So Ed mm. Norton wrote this, I think he said like two, 10 years ago or something like that, he started writing it. And he, it, the one thing that I don't like about just the Trump narrative in general, which is why I like the way you phrased it, is that these characters did not start with Trump, right? right. And so this is a historical piece. It's set in the 1950s. Um, and so people like this existed in the 1950s. And so the fact that Eric, Alec Baldwin is playing this character, it might be very similar to Trump because people like Trump have always existed in exactly. America. Mm. And so um, that's I like that Ed Norton quickly shut that down. Yeah. He was like, Trump wasn't even in office when I wrote this. But obviously this character, this is a, somebody who's going to continue to be around and who has always been around. Right. So I think to your point, I think Alec definitely played into it for this mm-hmm. audience and it coming out in this time period for sure, as right. he's been doing even in all of the other things he's been doing. <laughs> right. um, but definitely for sure. I think there's some connection when people watch it, obviously in the time we're in, it's going to be some yeah. connection there. Even the boss baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Trumpy as hell, that one. Right. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, this is a pretty long movie. It's long. This it, is like a two and a half, so it's like solid two and a half hours, I think. It wow. is. Um, and it, I think it was, it, Ed Norton really showing that he was a director because I think mm-hmm. in all first features and I, I'm hesitant to call this his first feature but in it kind of is in a way and I think people always do that in first features they tend to be too long right because people want to show everything that they can do and I think Ed Norton fell victim to that but mm-hmm. I don't think it was bad what did you what did you think yeah I mean I think that it, it I think it felt its length it didn't like fly by mm-hmm. or anything and For it's sure. very the it story goes on <laughs> yes and it definitely takes its time mm-hmm. getting its momentum going like it takes a while yeah but then I think probably about midway through then I was like I stopped like thinking about how long it had been going on yeah and the second half of the movie I think is pretty thrilling yeah it's twist yeah no there's definitely twists and it has you know it has a great sense of place it has a great visual look it has a great feel um but you know the story to me is like maybe not the most original story Mm-mm. um and I don't know that I would ever like watch it again mm-hmm. But I think especially anyone who enjoys like a gumshoe movie, if you enjoy like throwback film noir, mm-hmm. um, you know, stories, mid-century stories about big city corruption mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, two-bit crooks and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. then I think this is probably up your alley. So anyone yeah. not watching the impeachment trial and <laughs> wants a, a more fictionalized version of it. Right. No, for sure. I think it was, for me, it was fun watching. And also I'm a fan of like really old movies. And so... Ed Norton did bring up movies like Chinatown when he was talking in his 
Q&A. Um, but right off the bat, I remember whispering to my mom. I was like, he watches a lot of black movies. Mm-hmm. And you can really tell that by watching Motherless Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's a few actors from The Wire in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like most of the music was done by like Winter Marsalis and some other right. jazz musicians. The Terrence Blanchard? Yeah, it's like something like there yeah. was a whole like I think LA Times piece about just the music in Motherless Brooklyn. So I will say like this was a very well crafted movie if anything like he really took his time in thinking about every single piece and I think it paid off like in a way you know it does sit and take its time but I think for me it was enjoyable still like I didn't hate the movie Google was great in it mm-hmm. uh, Google and Bata Ra is in mm-hmm. it we love um, Google on the show love her <laughs> um, but she was great in it and I do think to your point it wasn't the most original story but it was beautifully I thought put together right and I could tell like he through the film I can tell he was very passionate about me like it was you can tell it was a film of like love for a back of lack of a better term but yeah he mentioned Spike Lee and automatically I was like yes you watch a lot of Spike Lee movies because (laughs) I can see all of his influences come out in his film and it was cool to see an actor turned director kind of you know show that on screen and show that love that they actually have for film through that medium so i i liked it it wasn't like you said i don't know how many times i'll watch it again because it's very long yes uh but it wasn't it wasn't terrible and i thought it was i thought it was it was enjoyable my mom really liked it she loved it but uh (laughs) yeah i I thought it was cool and i actually liked i liked it norton a lot what are we giving this one i think it was What's binge it? Like, watch it for sure. Go see it. Yeah, that's our highest rating. And then consume is like... I think consume. I would say consume. Binge it is a lot just because it's two and a half hours. (laughs) But I would say if you're like a movie fan and you like Ed Norton and you like noir, go like you should watch it. Yeah, I would agree. It's a total consume for me. I agree with everything you said. It's very handsomely mounted and... Mm -hmm. and, uh, And uh, great for the audience that probably already knows that it's for them. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The next movie we're going to give a medium-length review to is <laughs> Harriet. Okay. The extraordinary tale of Harriet Tubman's escape from slavery and transformation into one of America's greatest heroes, whose courage, ingenuity, and tenacity freed hundreds of slaves and changed the course of history. So now this is the one that Jason and I have seen. Yes. Tell me more about it. <laughs> I mean, we don't. We're not. We don't love the fact that we're going to shit on this movie. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I I feel like the desire to shit on this movie comes from a place of saying that this story deserves a better movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is this is probably one of the m- least compelling tellings of one of the greatest all time American stories that you could imagine. Right. Like like how much material there is in the amazing story of Harriet Tubman. And how thoroughly this movie just seems to botch every choice it makes about how to tell that story. Mm-hmm. It's 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 dramatically uninvolving. Mm. It focuses on it sort of zooms in on one chapter of her life, and it's still somehow which is the one that most people think of, which is the Underground Railroad piece of it, and it somehow manages to make that even that which should be so gripping and so suspenseful, just kind of like endless montages of running back and forth in the woods at night uh yeah and it's it's not compellingly done uh i feel like when you think about the failures of um like teachers who teach you history and it's like yeah because you know you go to school and you just remember a bunch of dates and names and like 
no, there's no context provided to make it seem relatable or interesting. This story follows that plan exactly. It's like as boring as a history lesson would be about this this topic. There's no there's no original take on on anything. Um, and also there's there's this the story of her with um, uh, I, I keep forgetting his name uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend <laughs> right Joe Alwyn <laughs> that <laughs> has Swift. this back and forth of um, I don't I don't even know how to describe it but the, to include it was painful and unnecessary yeah it's like they introduced this antagonist mm-hmm. it's seemingly just because you know screenplay rules dictate there needs to be you know a flesh and blood antagonist and not just the institution of slavery mm-hmm. they have to embody that in this person uh, who is sort of like they have grown up together and like they've both been growing up on this plantation at the same time him as you know the son of the you know slave owners and her as a slave and uh and just it tries to make this kind of interesting complex dynamic out of that relationship but it doesn't succeed no and when instead of like taking the that part of the movie and focusing it on her going forward her planning her ingenuity all you know which is described in in the introduction to this it it brings it ties her back to this unnecessary relationship um to show i don't know what that that things were complicated on a personal level right (laughs) like it's not just slavery but make it personal right exactly right (laughs) let's let's really find let's find the detail here to make this interesting that dynamic already existed in birth of a nation right like um you know sure she's one of the most powerful figures in history for doing this thing but she also had this guy she had a vengeance personally <laughs> yeah and, and he has this weird like relationship with her where it's like kind of love but also it's property and it's like oh no just a story that didn't need to be taking up such a big part of the movie no white people took up space I'm so shocked <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if that's it's the M. Night Shyamalan twist <laughs> right. uh, in this one <laughs> so the way that it tells the story is not interesting the way it tries to frame and like turn part of her life into a three act story is not well done. Um, it leaves so much like by the time it ends, it covers so much in like the epilogue title cards that you're like, well, where's that movie? Where's that? Like, mm-hmm. why did you focus on just this part of her life that ultimately proved to not be that cinematically compelling? And, you know, and then, like, all the rest of it, like, also, she was a spy, and also, she did this, also, she right. fought in the war, and also, she, it's like... What? Like, we like, should have definitely got the Harriet Tubman spy movie. Right! Like, where is it's that like, at? It's, like, ten solid minutes of title <laughs> cards. It's, like, you basically just read her entire Wikipedia oh, no. uh, for, like, life post Underground Railroad, and then it's just, like, ten minutes of title cards. Um, I think even the movie even let me down in the one way that I was convinced it was going to be great, which is acting. Mm-hmm. Like... Cynthia Erivo, who's one of like the leading lights of Broadway and who was so good in Widows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she just doesn't find that interiority to the character. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it's a lack of source material, but I couldn't feel like I know less about who Harriet Tubman was as a person mm-hmm. um, other than just, again, someone running around the woods at night. <laughs> right. yeah. there's, no, there's no discovery or, or in interpretation, and, and that is the acting and it's the writing, yeah. uh, but it, we're, we, we're worse off for it. Yeah, it just felt, the whole thing felt very simplistic. There was no ambiguity. There was no nuance. 
and even like Janelle Monae is kind of wasted in it. Uh, it Leslie Odom Jr. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. what are you doing with these great people? Uh, you're not giving them, you're not doing a, a good service by them. And I, uh, oh God. And it's also this interesting thing that will come up again in Queen and Slim where it's like casting exclusively British actors to play these African-American leading roles. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been going on for years, like David Ayoloa and Selma, mm-hmm. um, She Would Tell Edgy of Four and 12 Years a Slave, and also both leads in Queen and Slim, mm-hmm. uh, and this movie. And I know that's kind of an, its own kind of thorny subject. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think, this, you're yeah. just trying to get your point across that you really wish Julia Roberts had. Yes, what I'm trying to say. Or Scarlett Johansson. Exactly. I'm saying, I'm saying cast American. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think to that point, I don't think Cynthia was the correct choice in general. Um, British or not, I just don't think she was seasoned enough, one, to play this role. I think this could have went to a newcomer, even, mm. like, cast somebody new. Like, the story is there. Um, but I just don't think she was also gritty enough to play mm-hmm. the character. Like, not for nothing. I think she was a little too polished and pretty to play this role. Like, and they didn't do anything to make her look more like Harriet at all. They were just like, here's Cynthia as right. Harriet. Exactly. Believe it. Right. Here's your shawl. Uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Like, here's your costume. Do that. Right. Um, and again, I haven't seen it, but I think that's, you know, there's definitely a bigger conversation to be had about playing black historical American figures and why those roles mostly don't go to black American actors. Mm. Um, I think, you know, 12 Years a Slave was a beautifully shot film. Hard to watch, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it was beautifully shot. I don't know. I haven't seen Harriet, so I can't say if it was or wasn't. But, um, yeah, Chiwetel was that, and then, you know, Selma. But... Yeah, I think I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said on the Cynthia Erivo tip, even in general, and her interactions with Black culture and things she's even said about Black Americans in general. So I mean, that's a whole other show and a oh, whole other sure. topic for a whole other day. But I didn't know she um, got herself in trouble. Oh yeah, Twitter gets everybody in trouble. <laughs> um, you know, so I think there's something there too, right? And it's like you have to be choosy with who you're going to pick to play these characters and these historical figures and it's such a letdown to hear because you are not the first people that I've heard to say these things about the movie literally everybody that I know that saw it said it was mid you know super basic it wasn't anything special Mm -hmm. didn't do the story of Harriet justice at all um it wasn't as bad as birth of a nation thank (laughs) god um but you know it wasn't good either and I think this was very highly anticipated when they announced that it was going to be made and then I think just little by little it kind of lost momentum when you started to hear about Cynthia being casted and then it just kind of went downhill from there at least for me and people that I know that were interested in the film um so yeah I'll watch it but I'm not too gassed about it (laughs) I watched Joker so I'm damn sure gonna watch Harriet directed by a black woman exactly and then I mean yeah that's another it's you know Cassie Lemons has historically been a great filmmaker East Bayou is so good amazing and yeah, this top is five. just this is just yeah, definitely top five. And this is definitely not, and it's just it's just an all around bummer. So, mm-hmm. do you feel like it's something that like like the studio kind of neutered? I I can't imagine. Who was this? Who did this? Was it Focus? 
I think Focus put it out. Mm, I don't think they're um, big enough to be like. No, they're not like a, a major, Paramount. You know, yeah. put a Paramount or a Fox lens on this. You know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was just script problems and casting issues, and it sounded like it was rushed. I feel like we yeah. just got the news that they were making a Harriet Tubman movie, and then it was out. Right after so many years of not having a Harriet Tubman <laughs> right. movie, it's like, like why take your time. Rush we're not it? In yeah, rush. please do it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but anyway, this this for me is a send it back. Like, Harry, you're not here to see it either way. You don't got to no, rush and do it. No, exactly. Yeah, no, she's not doing the press tour. No. They spent 10 years trying to unconvince people from the Julie Roberts decision. Right. Yeah, okay, they like, signed on so to the last and let's just push it through before they, they make Scarlett Johansson. Right, the lead. exactly. It took so long. Did you see the... Did you see the joke? There was a joke on Weekend Update on SNL last night about the Julia Roberts thing. No. Um, that they, in the, where they could, they called it um, her playing Harriet Tubman and the Runaway Bride too. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. it. It was tough. Um, I think it's also ascended back. I mean, I think uh, it. you don't learn or anything from this. No. Either, you know, you don't learn anything emotionally or, you know, historically. Um, if you know if you know what slavery is and was, or you've seen another movie about slavery recently, um, I think that this is just you already kind of are, yeah. are up to date, and this doesn't teach you really anything about this particular case. Even like I'm trying to think of differences between this and Birth of a Nation, and it's like there are so few. Yeah, and, um, and it send it back in the actual like restaurant definition. Send it back where it's like make this better, right? And give it to me it's again like, because yeah, I want it again. Yeah, it's like this is not mm-hmm. well prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, try again. Yeah. And yeah, to your point, like, look, I'm not trying to watch no more slave movies in general. So if I'm about to sit in this theater and watch a slave movie, it better be a good one. Like, it better be a damn good story. And like, Mm. not for nothing, 12 years wasn't like the most best film in the world, but it was beautiful. Like, Steve McQueen did an amazing job directing that. And so at least I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. (laughs) Like, obviously, I don't want to see that and relive that trauma, but make it worth it something the story needs to be there otherwise you're almost guilty of torture porn yeah Yeah, it does and it breaks faith with the audience Okay, third right. movie we'll give a medium <laughs> review to medium length review is uh, Waves wait y'all didn't say binge or uh... oh send it back send it back okay <laughs> make it better and give it back to us yes okay do over um, the third one <laughs> no do over no do overs <laughs> we're gonna talk about is Waves it's the epic emotional journey of a suburban African American family as they navigate love forgiveness and a coming together in the wake of a tragic loss so again, we have one that Jason and I have seen. Jason, did you see this recently or a while ago? I saw this at TIFF. Dang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This past TIFF? Yep. Um, hmm. So here we have... I mean, that, the, the, <laughs> the intro pretty much sums it up. Uh, we have the story of Tyler, a high school student, wrestling star, who kind of has his world come crashing on him in, I think, like a week's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he learns that his shoulder injury is now at a state um, that is incredibly dangerous, and he's a he's a high school at, he's a football player and was banking he's a wrestler on, or a wrestler wrestler. <laughs> it's it, been a while. A, I just saw the it. revised version. I haven't seen it in two months. <laughs> <laughs> I know he, he's a he's a high school athlete that's like banking his whole future on success, okay. and and he has his father played by Sterling K. Brown pressuring him to you know be perfect. And uh, and yeah, and then he has this injury, and he kind of keeps it to himself because he doesn't want to tell anyone that he has this injury. Um, he, he's in denial about it, and uh, and then yeah, he kind of spirals very quickly into uh, opiates and everything to cover it up 
and things get very bad very quickly. <laughs> things get a little out of things hand. Things get, granted, a little out of Just hand. Just a little bit. And it's a, it's a two-act movie. Do you want to spoil this? No, I mean, I don't want to say what happens at the midway point, but I mean... I it's think out, we can, though, right? No, I mean, I think it they don't... It is out, yeah. Yeah, we still don't try to say, like, there's, like, one giant thing that happens oh, midway okay. through the movie, and then it becomes a different story. Um, it's a two-act movie, and, um, and yeah, basically something terrible happens at the midway point, and then the second half of the movie recenters to be about um, the character's sister. And her um, blossoming relationship with her high school boyfriend, played by Lucas Luke, Hedges. Lucas Hedges. Hedges. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At okay. it again. Uh, so this is made by uh, Trey Edward Schultz, the writer director of Cresha, and it comes at night. And it was uh, he wrote it in collaboration with Kelvin Harrison, who plays the the main character, the teenage boy, because mm-hmm. Kelvin Harrison was in It Comes at Night, and the two of them hit it off. And I guess. Tradeward Schultz says they were having these sort of like therapeutic talks about their childhood, and um, and then uh, and then he was inspired, and then he booked Kelvin to play the lead in this movie, and then at that point it changed the racial focus of the movie, and uh, and then he he and Kelvin just worked together on all the different details of this family and how they would have their relationships to each other, and um, so Tradeward Schultz is aware of the optics issue with this mm-hmm. movie, um, and I think I was texting you about it when, mm-hmm. when I saw it at TIFF, and I was like. So I will say, I my overall reaction to this movie is extremely positive. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> but I know that there that is problematic because it's a white man telling a story of a promising young black man who very much falls down into a sort of like stereotypical um, spiral into crime and incarceration. Uh, <laughs> that escalated very quickly. Yes. Yeah, and so he was <laughs> also in Jin, the Kelvin. He was in what? Jin by Nigel Mumin, the movie that came out last year. Oh, oh, I never saw mm-hmm. that one. It was really good. Okay, he's a great actor. He's, I mean, he's great. Incredible he was in, in Monsters and Men too. Is mm-hmm. that was that? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a he's great. Um, and uh, so yeah, the first half of this movie, Schultz has described as he he wants it to feel like an anxiety attack. It feels like an anxiety attack coming okay. on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, accurate. And, uh, <laughs> and it's really in uh, it's really excruciating, and, and the whole thing was done very much in, in collaboration, also with Sterling K. Brown and with uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who plays the boy's stepmom. And uh, and yeah, it's a really really tough, hard to watch family drama for the Ooh. first half of the movie. Mm. And then Schultz said he wants the second half to feel like a hug after <laughs> the trauma of the first half. Like it's also in in other ways intense. The second half. The second half. Yeah, yeah I would hardly call that a hug. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Rebecca does not accept this hug. No, I don't. She's a she's a pass. Uh, so it is. It takes a huge gamble. Like not many movies become a whole other movie midway through, and uh, this one does that. And uh, and I think it is. I think there is, even though the second half is intense in its own way, it does like that kind of constricting anxiety attack of the first does dissipate. And now we're just like following the sister as she is trying to just like navigate her life. And it just feels less claustrophobic. It's less toxic. It's less like it's, it's kind of like the aftermath of this horrible, of this horrific trauma. Mm-hmm. And the fan mm-hmm. is very much the family putting the pieces back together and sort of coping with their roles and what happened. Um, and, uh, and there's also the optics issue of her having this like white boyfriend, uh, and her finding redemption through love with him. 
Um, so, <laughs> so there's, so that's, that's that, a couple of optics issues. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So it's, there's definitely some, yeah, some, some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course you could look at it and just be like, well, love is love. Or you could look at it and be just like, well, why is, is he a white boyfriend who's helping lift her out of all the drama right, the of, white her, of her black family? Right. Exactly. Mm. So, um, but so it's tough. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's beautifully acted. I think across the board. So I would say that um, one of the things that really made this movie hard for me, one of the things I really didn't like about it is that like 50% of it is like uh, music video type of like cinematography. And it's trying to be like really cool and the soundtracks like super cool. And then that's paired with like these monologues by Sterling K Brown, which brings it to like daytime or like, evening tv to me so like he he just i I don't know if it's because of that show that he's on uh what is it this This, is us this is us but like his acting feels very television to me and it that is a burn that's all right i'm sorry he's is it 1955 she's like television. yeah i know guess guess where the real art is it's on tv i'm sorry i'm talking about um network television um 8 p.m network television not like I don't know. That's interesting. It might be the writing. So you thought see, he's just see, so intense. Have you seen him in other movies? The movie about OJ, or the TV show about OJ Simpson, right? Um, Which well, that's in. TV. What other movies right. was he, he in? He was in. He played a role in Black Panther, didn't he? He was in Black Panther. Right. Um, he was in um, Para. Uh, I was about to say Parasite. He was. <laughs> it was not in Parasite. <laughs> he was in the Predator. He's versatile. Um. See, I didn't. He did not bug me at all in this movie. I thought that like I was like, oh, this is an awards performance. He's Hotel going to be Artemis. Hotel Artemis. I was like, he's going to be in the supporting actor conversation for this because the level of intensity that he brings to it, to me, was so transcending any kind of TV acting. Like hmm. he is, he is so yeah. He comes on so intense and so intimidating in this movie, and he's also so incredibly swole. Uh, he really is. It is. <laughs> it is off did not see that coming. The charts. Um, so to me, it was not, I, I, it didn't, I didn't have that same reaction. Mm. I didn't, I didn't. And then he gets to do very like sort of intimidating, intense work in the first half and the second half, he's kind of like shattered and, and reckoning with his role and what happened. And I thought that he did great, beautiful, dramatic work in that act. So Mm. I didn't have a, I I didn't take issue with that performance. I haven't even seen This Is Us, but from all the commercials, just feel, this feels like it was cut from the show. (laughs) Interesting. Parts of the show. Um, like like schmaltzy? Do you think it yeah. was? Okay. Yeah. And maybe that's like just something that he's carrying with him from being associated with that other show. But the, the acting seemed like it was going to be that commercial before the last episode of This Is Us before the holidays. And you're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, and then you watch, you know, something else. But um, I, I think this movie seems kind of, it's like a little bit, lazy in the way that it it portrays the the characters kind of like incredibly rapid descent um it it throws in a lot of things like you know there's this opioid conversation but the but the thing that ends up being the big catalyst for change the the big tragic event it just seems like really unlikely that someone who is like high on opioids and drinking would go do something of this nature. Um, so it was just like the the choice was like, we're going to have him make a bunch of bad decisions that are like really unrelated, but they're, we're showing that he's bad and he's doing bad things. And he, and he comes from, from being a character at the beginning of the movie that is like sweet and talks to his stepmom and is really great, shows like no signs of change, and then like in a week becomes like a monster. And I, 
I don't know. It, it seemed really unbelievable. Um, it also didn't seem racial. Um, like when you you tell the story, I can see the how how it it's problematic and it's telling. Mm-hmm. To me, it seemed like it was just a story of like toxic masculinity, and he could have his character could have been white, and it would have been the same exact story. Right. Um, and if it was like, oh well, you know, I I guess it's a good sign that they gave a person of color opioids. Uh, that they that there's like this, you know, the racialized, racialized nature of that conversation. Of, yeah, of medication and like treatment of people in America. Um, and his family is uh is very wealthy but um Mm -hmm. but it just seemed really unbelievable what happened and then well what you said also just sounded unbelievable (laughs) right (laughs) the whole thing's very unbelievable the timeline issue i don't remember it being a week i don't remember i don't know how much time it's supposed to be it really is a very short amount of time well i mean it's like it's edited in a way that it like flies by mm -hmm. um but i don't know how much time is actually tracking it through his actual injury (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and like his the season of his sport uh which is wrestling uh, it, it is very unbelievable. It's like, but you can't do this by the next match, and then it's yeah. like two matches later, which is like a week later, mm-hmm. um, things come crumbling down. Yeah. And so to to kind of see someone go from from zero to such a hundred is mm-hmm. is really kind of nuts. And and then the the story shifts to being about the sister, which I I thought would be like a nice release release from the toxic masculine masculinity mm-hmm. of the first half. But she spends the whole movie either consoling her brother, consoling her father, and then at the end. When it, I would think it's about you know a time for her, she's just consoling her boyfriend through uh, his own tragic situation. Well, which I think, but I think that she experiences healing through that. I think that through finding love, like finding this mutual love, and through like sort of shepherding him through his own family drama, that she's able to sort of get outside of herself and to and to experience healing for her own issues that she that she's had been thrown into by her family. So, but I I, I hear what you're saying that mm-hmm. she's doing a lot of like. I wouldn't call it consoling. She's doing a lot of like, she's not like consoling her. She's having conversations with. It's not like she's just purely this nurturing. She She literally like holds her brother while he's crying in the bathtub. Then Mm -hmm. she like uh, has the same situation with her father where he like unleashes everything. He hasn't been able to tell anyone because he doesn't tell anyone. He he gives her all his shit about his family, about his uh, relationship with his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she has her boyfriend who, yes, the beginning of their relationship is very mutual and the Lucas Mm -hmm. Hedges character is really great. But then a good half of that second part of the, so I guess the last quarter is like him going to see his dying father. And then Mm -hmm. she's literally holding him again while he's uh, uh, going through the, the loss of his father. So, it's all spent with her holding men mm-hmm, and supporting mm-hmm. them while they feel feelings. Although she has like one brief scene where she talks about her, the effect of the tragedy on her. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned music videos and the cinematography. Mm. So I heard through the grapevine that none of the music was licensed before they started screening the film. I, oh, I'm guessing it yeah. is now. <laughs> right. But I'm like, how did you get away with that? Like, it's like Frank Ocean, Kanye, and all this other stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But to your point, it seems very like, oh, my movie is so dope because it has yeah. all the songs in it. it. <laughs> Being cool seemed to be like a, 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 a big the, theme. The, the only thing that like made itself very clear throughout the movie. Well, yeah. and see, see, to me, I just didn't get that at all and to me like the first half of the movie it does have like a music video feel to it mm. but I didn't think that it did a disservice to the story like mm-hmm. I thought that that into like to cinematically tell the story that they were telling of this character and his arc 
I thought that that made sense and like the escalations that occur mm. over the course of that and like one of my friends who saw it at TIFF also was like dismissive of it he's like oh it's one of those movies where people like hang outside of a car uh, well, which like, is a, also a yeah. theme in this movie <laughs> people just outside a car yeah, people talking. just hang outside of a car while, yeah. you know, while the car is driving they're out the window like ah. yeah. he's yeah. like it's one of those um, and a lot of people compare it to Euphoria um, part Please of, don't disrespect Euphoria like that. Well, <laughs> I haven't seen Waves, but well, there's an actor I in love common. Euphoria. There's an actor oh, really? in common. So the actress who plays the um, this character's girlfriend is in Euphoria. Oh. She's in that one. She's um, the she's the. I'm trying to like. I don't know the characters' names. So like the the, the big jock guy, like the white guy, uh-huh. his like like short girlfriend. Oh yeah, yeah. She's in she's in waves. She's, oh, she's okay. the girlfriend. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a kind of a similar role. Oh got it. Um. So she she brings her Euphoria stamp of credibility with her. Um. Into <laughs> I love it. into I love waves. It. She's good in Euphoria too. Yeah. Well, all of the actors she's, are actually they good are, in and she's great in this. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh. But yeah, I mean, I think it it feels like euphoria in the first half mm-hmm. um but it feels more pointed it feels like it has more like because i think there is still i know you're to your point there is a toxic masculinity but i do think there's also a racial layer to it because like sterling's character is giving what i've been told is like the black parent speech to his kid of like you have to work twice as hard to get half as far and you have to be even better you're being held to the highest and most impossible standard of all to succeed in this world so that's part of like how they contextualize yeah. the pressure that's on this kid's shoulders did to it succeed. come off as authentic though that conversation when I mean, it, was it was happening probably... in the movie i just wonder because like a black person didn't write it so right. i'm wondering how that was related like did they just well, hear this and be like yeah, I think yeah. It's the cast because, okay yeah since they were like because yeah they were the whole thing was kind of done in collaboration with yeah all the actors playing that family were giving a lot of feedback okay. on their on yeah. their characters and how they think it should be mm-hmm. so so yeah, so even though Schultz is like the credit writer, mm-hmm. I think the cast had a lot of ro- uh, a lot Revisions. of responsibility to shape it and like make sure it's not like white guys' version yeah. of, of black Let's American family. Let's get the red out. I do right. feel like that was a a lesson of the movie that that made it through and was important, which is this like um, like you just said, twice as hard to go half as far, but then the risk of doing that is also failure, epic failure. So it's like a, right. a lose lose situation that. I don't know if it's been that explicitly shown in other movies. Mm-hmm. That was that was a, a positive positive takeaway in that it's a uh, it outline something that people might not realize. Right, right. Uh, well, I'm going with send it back. <laughs> that was fast. I didn't even ask. This is, <laughs> and I'm going with binge it. Okay, Ooh, opposite. you have to see yeah. it. Okay, I know. I That's why I wanted to see it. I know. Look, I was. It was. It's a two-hour, fifteen-minute movie at nine fifteen at night. I was like, yeah, man, I'm gonna tap I out. It. I got it. I'll see it though, and I'll take show. <laughs> so um that's the short version yeah. of our movies um <laughs> let's move on to um i'm gonna move these around a little bit let's move on to honey boy because Ooh. i think that's a either honey boy or queen and slim marriage story is the outlier here let's, okay. let's not um yeah lie but i think honey boy is a good transition I because we're honey talking boy. about um a youth yes yeah a youth a youth a youth um Honey Boy is the story of a young actor trying to reconcile with his father after surviving a turbulent childhood. That does not give the movie any justice. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> honey Boy is your favorite? Yeah. I don't think I'll, I'll... Well, yeah. I think it's my favorite out of all the ones we were talking about today. Jason? Uh, I am a fan. Is it your favorite of all the ones we've seen today? No. 
Ooh, what yeah. is? What is waves? <laughs> <laughs> waves. Um, actually, Harriet, surprisingly. <laughs> I'm going to change my mind. Uh, no, I think Marriage Story is probably my pick of the month. Oh, okay. Mm, mine would be uh, Queen and Slim. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know it's so great. hard. I loved Queen and Slim, too. But let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about mm-hmm. Honey Boy. Um, this is the autobiographical story by Shia? Shia LaBeouf. The, the one and only the god. The beef. <laughs> I the do beef. follow the um, a Twitter or no an Instagram account of him dressed as a schlub. Oh it's really? Like Shia fashion or something like that. Oh, and I think like, is that the one that what's his name started? What's the um? Cause what's the name caused him like a hype beast or like a street style? Oh, what's the boy that was in um? He was in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. He was in Moneyball. He was in uh, Superbad. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. He's like obsessed with the way Shia LaBeouf oh. dresses. And so I think, I don't know if he started that account or not, but that was the whole thing. That would be hilarious yeah. if he did. If Jonah Hill is just like low-key yeah. running like Shia LaBeouf comedy It's something account. about how he dresses. But yeah, uh, Shia. <laughs> Shia's Outfits is the account. Okay. Oh I need God. to follow that. That's hysterical. Um, so I saw Honey Boy at Mill Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Alma... Harrell, yeah, the director. She was there, um, as well as Shia and the comedian that plays his roommate in rehab. What's his name? Right. I probably should have looked that up beforehand. <laughs> anyway, um, he was also there. Mm-hmm. Very, very funny guy, actually, in real life. He's amazing. Um, but that movie was great and it took me a while to decompress after watching it like what did i really think about this movie because my mom tried to talk to me right after watching it. i was like i can't really like articulate how i feel about it It was just a lot going on in that movie um and so like you said it's autobiographical so shia labeouf actually plays his father uh noah jube uh plays young shia like even steven's age shia who's um, also noah jube is also british turns yeah. out oh because he's in, he's in Ford versus Ferrari, actually. And he's British in there? And he plays Christian Bale's son, and they're oh. a British family. And I looked at him up, and I'm just like, oh, no, he really is he is British. So I found out Christian Bale was British like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he did that acceptance award, and everyone yeah, was like, and I was like, like what, what is happening? Like, why is he doing the voice? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, is he method actor right now? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so... Noah Jupe is in it. Lucas Hid- Lucas Hedges mm-hmm. Hedges plays adult Shia LaBeouf in rehab, and then um, I want to say Spin City, but what's the the one that plays the therapist? What's oh, name? Martin Starr from oh. uh, Silicon Valley, and uh, Party Down. Yeah, and uh, and also FKA Twigs is in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she was okay. She was <laughs> not your favorite part of the no, movie. No, that was not my favorite part. She was a little dead, but um, <laughs> she's British as well. She's ah. British as well. Oh. But so Alma, I thought, did an amazing job directing. I thought it was a beautifully shot film, and I like the way they played with, like, I don't know if you call it like mystical realism and also like dreams and then the real deal stuff. And then who was credited as oh, Natasha Leone oh. played Shia LaBeouf's right. mother. <laughs> Mind you, we don't see Natasha Leon for one second in Not, this movie. And we and barely even hear her. Yeah. <laughs> and she is billed like fourth. She's right. At the end of the movie, it's like starring Natasha yeah. Leon. Rebecca and I literally went out loud when, when, the, when that name came up. I think it was like that moment where you see the name and you're just like clicking through all like the movie, like it's right. a rewind right. of the last minute of your life. And, and you're, you're like, like is her? Her? Is that Where, her? Where did she, she play yeah. that? Like, monkey was in she? That hat? Right, right. <laughs> Was she the one swimming pool? Right, right, exactly. Right, exactly. I think this is also an example of a movie where the trailer is way 
perfect for the movie yes. because it makes it look like it's all mystical realism uh-huh. kind of nonsense and you don't even expect any kind of like plot or um, yeah for sure uh realistic aspect to it and so right. then you it you end up coming into a story that you didn't expect mm-hmm. um but the trailer makes you want to watch it it conveys like the tone of the mm-hmm. movie really well no it does but without sure. actually telling you literally anything it's about anything yeah <laughs> yeah and um as a lifelong Shia LaBeouf fan mm-hmm. no I'm, honestly I'm of that age like the millennial well I'll be 30 next year so it's weird to still call myself a millennial but um I am a millennial but I'm of that age to like where I grew up watching Shia LaBeouf so from even Stevens into like Battle Shaker Heights and like Guy to Recognize in saints and like all of these small movies and holes and then he catapults all of a sudden into being like transformers and um you know all these other movies and so um yeah i've always liked shy even through his like it kind of takes us through those like awkward periods too of like tragedy and like him dealing with addiction and dealing with like mental health issues and all these other things um and so he wrote this oddly enough while he was in rehab so it was like part of his rehabilitation was like to write about his experience with his father and like his family issues and then it turned into a screenplay and Alma he picked like handpicked he wanted her to direct this and so it kind of was like an organic you know pairing of these two coming together to direct this film and make this film and I thought it came together really really well I just think I think Shia did a great job as his father like he was definitely the star of the show I think Noah was fantastic as the kid as well Lucas was amazing like I know what Shia LaBeouf sound like just like automatically <laughs> I know how he walks just because I've seen everything he's ever been in and when Lucas Hedges started talking I was like oh my fucking god like <laughs> he sounds just like this man so he did a fantastic job but you know I think for this film to be as personal as it was like you don't walk away feeling like I can't relate to this because somebody got so in their head and made this movie that I can't even understand what's going on it was just so perfectly laid out for us. And I don't know if I've... I was talking to my friends about this. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie like Honey Boy. Mm. Like, I don't know. I was thinking of, like, um, what was... Oh, I just lost. I hate when I lose my train of thought. The one with Jerry Lewis and Martin Scorsese directed it. The King of Comedy. Yes. I thought I related to that just because of how raw it was for both Shia and... I think Jerry Lewis at that point in his career was having very much of that, like... Mm rawness in the king of comedy even though it wasn't about right. him but it was you know it's whatever. like meta casting yeah mm-hmm. sort of that meta casting and even then i don't think it was that personal and so i was like i don't know if i've ever seen a movie like this before and it was right. it was beautiful i thought i loved it makes me think of like mickey rourke and the wrestler yeah winona Ryder and black swan right but <laughs> even then it's not their stories right. Right? right so it's like it's very different and especially for him to be playing his dad i'm like oh my gosh that's Wow. Yeah, very cathartic stuff. Yeah. I remember one of the things that Rebecca and I said, I think, after we watched this movie was like, how is it possible? We're like, is this movie too, so specific mm-hmm. that, in fact, nobody but Shia LaBeouf could relate to it? And I think we were both just like, no. Yeah. It's actually the specificity, as mm-hmm. always, helps. Right. The somehow. details about the movie where it's like he is financially supporting his father through his acting work. Um, isn't relatable to a lot of people. Um, right. No. But but the relationship they have and like resentment that builds because of any any possible circumstance um, does make it relatable and just mm-hmm. just like the the emotion. Yeah. No. It's so I I was thinking recently about sort of like that entire generation of young actors who like ten years ago at like the height of the Perez Hilton era were like the biggest stars in the world mm-hmm. at, in such garbage. 
um, and just how like 10 years later now they're all in there now they're all getting to like make the art they want to mm-hmm. make or like commenting on it like because mm-hmm. they all have movies out right now like Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. with The Lighthouse and you know Kristen Stewart with like Seaberg and and, and Shia getting to tell his story mm-hmm. in Honey Boy and I was I was reading like a 10th anniversary piece about Jennifer's body and Megan Fox was talking about all the trauma that she was going through when she made that movie just because of the fame machine that they were all caught in at that time mm-hmm. and how exploited she felt mm-hmm. and uh, so it's kind of it's kind of great to see these actors that they hung in there I think for so long you know child actors were were disposable or they would just get chewed up and spit mm-hmm. out and they mm-hmm. never got to be adult mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. and now um, we're in an age where I think post Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. uh, she was kind of the first who, who she went through that very bumpy transition and she came out of it as an adult star and now it's happening for more and more, more and more of these actors, yeah. and I'm 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 happy for them because I think they're all super gifted. Yeah. And and this in particular. Yeah, and I think um, to your point too, like they were going through that pre-social media. Yeah. So true. like, and it wasn't like pre-all social media, right? But Twitter wasn't the machine it no. was back then, and you know, Instagram wasn't even thought of, and so I think you know to think about that like they were still so harshly impacted by what was the media machine back right. then it's like you can only imagine what that like Shia LaBeouf having that accident where he damn near tore his pinky off his hand like that would have been such a huge thing on the 24-hour news cycle that we have now like yeah it was a thing back then but it was only a thing if you were following actors in movies in the way that kind of we all do um like most people I think watching Honey Boy are probably not as familiar with like like you know about him wearing a bag on his head and some of the later things that happened like when Twitter was around when Instagram was around but a lot of those earlier like kind of struggles that he had were really documented like via like you said Perez Hilton or like TMZ or like Mm -hmm. if you were following movies and like Hollywood back then Mm -hmm. you would know of it but I think that was also probably to his advantage as well because like I don't know if certain people could survive that amount of like bad press in this moment you know what I mean because and everybody's also on this thing where like they feel like you should know better already and Mm. so there's not a lot of room for growth in a lot of ways that he was able to take that break and still come back and do peanut butter falcon and be amazing right so he took that break to sort of heal I don't know if that branch would have been extended not even from the public but just like mm-hmm. in general I don't know how that would have went in the days of like Twitter and all the other stuff yeah I feel like they were sort of like the learning curve generation mm-hmm. where like they had to learn it in a way that no actor before them had had yeah. to learn it in terms of just like w- what tabloid coverage became mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the late aughts yeah I always think of like the movie The Bling Ring is, the, is still to this day the thing that captures that moment in time the mm-hmm. best mm-hmm. Um, but and now I think it's actually like it would be harder in some ways, but also now like people have learned how to adapt. Mm. And now that's why you have stars who have have I think the issue that they had back then 10 years ago was they were still looking to the traditional mm-hmm. like public publicist yeah. management studio kind of system to protect them. Now you have and, your own voice. And they weren't caught up yet. Mm-hmm. Like the studio and the publicist, they didn't know how to handle. Mm-hmm. They were just doing the old tricks and the old tricks weren't working. Right. Now, like, you know, stars have fully integrated with social media where they do have their own voices mm-hmm. or at least a controlled version of that voice to like get out ahead of these things. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you see like there aren't many people now where I think like, oh tabloid mess. Mm-hmm. Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
No, now now they're like wearing little glasses and going yeah. to do like you know theater in London. Right. I feel like people respect child yeah. actors more now. Right. Rather than it being like, oh, it's the crazy like, like yeah. m- you know Miley Cyrus and. Yeah. Um, I think she was the tail end of that too, kind of mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean the ongoing. You know, Lindsay Lohan is still out there living it every day, but. Yeah. But uh, I just saw a tweet that was like "Honey Boy," yeah. but with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, I would yeah. love that. God, I would love that movie. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think this is yeah, this is this is a great piece of art to come out of that of that moment in time as well, and uh, and yeah, it's it's. It's 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 a good stuff, uh, Rebecca. You haven't you haven't said much yet. <laughs> yes. I I went from seeing the trailer where I was um, really interested in seeing it, then to hearing that it was about um, sh- by for and about Shia LaBeouf, and I am not a a, a ride or die. Um, so I was like, <laughs> oh, this like, do I want to? I don't know if I want to hear someone's like story. Is it going to be like? Um, and coming out of it with saying that it was it was wonderful. Um, I do am now questioning my own overacting meter because um, him and his father, him as his father, Sterling K. Brown, and what's the third one? Was it another movie we saw this overacting? week? Yeah, that I've just oh uh, Joker. Uh, oh. Things where people are saying that they really think the acting is really good. I'm I'm like, can you stop? It's so much. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's where I'm at or what that's about, but mm-hmm. I did feel like he overacted a bit as, as his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you, found the, just... the wigginess of it upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just yeah. don't like all these men shouting at you, yes. and that's understandable. He did yell a lot in that. I mean, I did like Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Sure, sure. But he's also more of like a well, sad sack. Than he's like... shouting at Scarlett Johansson. Which right. Is... You're like, which yes. I'm like, no, yes, please do <laughs> Somebody's Somebody to. has to. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I think one thing. So one thing I did love about Shia spoke briefly. I think Alma kind of took over the conversation at Mill Valley. But one thing Shia said that I thought was really powerful. They asked him about his father. Obviously, if he's seen the movie, both of his parents have seen the movie. Um, and he talks about his father. And he said the only only legacy he ever gave me was this story. Oh wow! Mm. And I just that was like Oof. oh my god like That's am hard. i crying or are you crying i was just like oh my god like the whole audience was just amazed Oof. and I, I, it was so powerful that he said that a man of very few words yeah. for the media <laughs> but when he yeah. does talk he was he was saying great things and um one thing that was just so film festival-y for me too is I hate people's reactions to movies. Like I just want everybody to be quiet. Yes, everybody shut <laughs> during up. A, during yeah. a movie. <laughs> and so um, the funniest, so Noah Jew plays young Shia. His dad is like out of control or whatever. And he lets Shia smoke cigarettes like a hundred times in this movie, right? The minute he smokes weed at the very last second of the movie people in the theater start screaming like they lose their mind they're like oh my god and i'm like he's literally been letting this little boy smoke a pack of cigarettes a day for the last five years and he smokes one piece of weed and everybody is losing their mind and we should know that the mill valley audience tends to be very (laughs) old and very white so there's a lot of scandalized wealthy north bay white people i was like are y'all serious right now a little piece of weed he out here smoking and he didn't smoke a million cigarettes in every scene well that's this is taking it too far (laughs) taking it a little too far (laughs) not him getting slapped across the face but the weed is just where i draw the line that's hilarious yeah no I feel the same way I also like 
I the the advent of AirPods changed film festivals for me so beautifully because I could just plop them in and just start playing some shit like the second the movie's over because I don't want to hear yeah. everybody just turn to their friend and be like, well that was blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's it's strange that you know I do I've been doing movie criticism for so long and the thing I hate the worst in the world is other people's opinions about movies mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's why every time you put on your AirPods when when I yeah, start I'm talking like, after the movie. Sorry, what time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I feel like finding out that this story is a true story um, that it makes it it would have it would have been a shame not to hear this story. Mm-hmm. The story is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had to be told. Yeah, it, it really did. Um, I think for his sake, his livelihood, yeah. it had to be told. Yeah, for his own sanity. It's yeah. definitely, I think, probably one of the best movies ever made about the experience of child actors. Mm-hmm. And I think he even spoke to the fact that he he only knows how to do acting like he only mm. knows how to do screenwriting you know well this is his first time screen but he only knows how to do this kind of work so for him it was literally life or death like if he did not go to rehab right. he said people were not gonna hire him anymore and he was like you know me hitting rock bottom physically wasn't where i drew the line me you know disconnecting from my parents is what not where i drew the line but me the fact that people were not gonna let me act anymore he said, okay, I have to go to rehab, right? Because he was mm-hmm. like, that for me was like, I don't know what to do with my life if I can't act. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, like that's a lot. And I mean, I guess if you've been doing this since you were like 12 years old and now you're in your 30s, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it gets mixed up in your identity. It's like, if, yeah. it's, if I'm not acting, then who am I? Yeah, yeah for sure. And they get, get into that too in mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. All so right. what are we thinking? 100% binge it even if you don't like Shia LaBeouf I would especially actually suggest it for you if you don't like Shia LaBeouf to go watch yeah. this mm-hmm. and then immediately Rebecca. after that go watch Peanut Butterfly <laughs> <laughs> this is a binge it for me as well yeah uh, binge it for me as well alright wow is this one of the first triple we are, binges we are aligned it might be um, alright movie number five five uh, is Queen and Slim a Queen and Slim's first date takes an unexpected turn when a policeman pulls him over for a minor traffic violation. When the situation escalates, Slim takes the officer's gun and shoots him in self-defense. Now labeled cop killers in the media, Slim and Queen feel that they have no choice but to go on the run and evade the law. When a video of the incident goes viral, the unwitting outlaws soon become a symbol of trauma, terror, grief, and pain for people all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I'll say is that Queen and Slim is heavy. And I know it seems heavy from the trailer. And I've only watched the first trailer. I refuse to watch any other trailer after that because I'm like, I don't want to spoil the movie. Mm. Um, but it's heavy. And I, I don't know if, like, that's portrayed enough in the marketing of the film. Like, it's heavy. I, I told my friends because we were supposed to go see it together. And I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this film again. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you if I liked it or not because I don't want to spoil your expectations for it. And I was like, but that's not indicative of if I liked it or not. I was mm. like, to give context, I have both 12 Years a Slave and Fruitvale Station on DVD and I've never opened them. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to watch that again. And I loved Fruitvale Station and Ryan mm. Cooper's one of the best people ever but mm-hmm. <laughs> um no and it's not indicative if i liked it or not it's just very heavy and some movies i just can't watch more than once because i'm just like it was amazing or even if it was amazing but it's just like i can't do that so i do want to mm-hmm. stress like this movie is heavy um but it's also some lightness to it that i think is very beautiful in the interactions between daniel kaluuya and jody's character um 
And yeah, so what did what did y'all think before I get into it? What did y'all think about the film overall? I think that if, if we were to to uh, take the heaviness conversation and compare it to Harriet, like we did uh, before, where that one where it becomes you know torture porn because there's nothing good that comes out of it mm-hmm. or original. This one um, is heavy in a way that's much more realistic right now and topical and dangerous. Um, so that's definitely be something to be aware of about whether or not you want to put yourself in that environment watching the movie. Um, however, I think that they do that uh, ev- event service by making such a, a great story out of mm-hmm. it, um, by doing such wonderful character development, um, by having a love story in um, such a, uh, a hopeless environment. And I try to not say love mm-hmm. in a hopeless place. <laughs> <laughs> She's always accidentally quoting Rihanna right, on this show. Always. Um, and to, to really tell the story of this like modern odyssey um, across um, across the country, mm-hmm. um, meeting all these you know characters along the way, um, I, th- I think it it delivers on the investment you have to make of watching the the first half hour of the movie. I didn't like it. What? I'm sorry. Whoa. What didn't you like about it? We didn't even start there. What didn't you like about What did you like about it? So I thought that it started with, I thought the premise was great. Like when I first saw the trailer, mm-hmm. I was like so stoked. I was like, what? Because I think that, you know, there have been so many movies made in the last few years in which a police shooting of an unarmed person of color has been first front and center. And as it should be, because, you know, we do need to look at that over and over again and face ourselves and ask why this keeps happening. And then to see a story that starts that way, but then flips it um, and, you know, has the copy killed and then like, you know, the, the lovers go on the lamb. I was like, oh, that's such a good premise. And I guess I felt like for me, it ended like Lena Waithe wasn't sure what to do after that premise. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like when it becomes a road movie, I just didn't feel like anything that especially interesting happened. I didn't think that the people they met along the way were super engaging. I didn't think the characters were really developed in ways that that were interesting. I felt like I know that like what Lena and Melina Matsukas, is that her last name? Mm-hmm. Um, what they were going for with this is they wanted that they want Queen Slim to become like iconic they want this to be like an iconic Mm -hmm. kind of story an Mm -hmm. iconic piece of culture and i guess that for me they kind of sacrificed interiority and nuance to achieve that kind of like creating these Mm -hmm. people these characters that can live as like these iconic ideals Mm -hmm. um more than like flesh and blood people Mm -hmm. i thought the story kind of set up a lot of different loose ends that didn't really resolve like it set things up without resolving them the part that I hated far and away the most was the part with um, the kid at the riot, um, who the additional shooting that happened. Yeah, that was a lot. That was so that out. Was of, so that intense. was so out of the blue, and I don't know what that what the purpose of that was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah. bugged, and um, and then I guess like in, in the fact that it does end the way that it does, even mm. though it feels realistic like I was hoping yeah. that this would be a chance yeah, yeah, yeah. that like that audiences that you know like audiences of color that have become you know so accustomed to having to watch these scenarios play out again and mm-hmm. again and again mm-hmm. that this could have been that kind of like this fantasia ending of like yeah. this you know this like yeah this like awesome fantasy like yes like yeah. and then it and then like 
got away and you know yeah. uh, that kind of thing so I guess it kind of it kind of left me wanting I'm not the target demo for it but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it left me I thought I thought yeah. Daniel Kaluuya was to me was the best part of it I thought mm-hmm. he brought so much Funny. like I know my guy top but... five he, I feel like there's not I feel like there no wasn't a ton I feel like there wasn't a ton on the page mm-hmm. for the character but he just brought so much just with his like just his just being a great actor mm-hmm. he brought so much personality uh, and emotional detail to the role um, also funny 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 detail the actor who plays the cop who starts this whole thing going is a super famous country singer named Sturgill Simpson Really, um, and so I thought that that was interesting casting, mm. uh, and and I think cool of of Sturgill to like bring his mm. audience to this story. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I think to your point, there were some things I think that we both didn't like about the film. I think overall, I thought it was beautifully shot. Yeah, um, I thought it was beautifully lit. I do mm-hmm. want to bring awareness to like the lighting in the film because almost all of the characters are dark skin. I'm trying to think of a light skin person in the movie. I mean, the boy kind of, but not right. really. Um, so everybody's pretty dark. Oh, the so, actor from Pose. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, That's right. what I was going to say. India Moore mm-hmm. and yeah. the other girls in the film. So mm-hmm. yeah, but for the most part, we're dealing with a lot of like dark and brown skin black people and the movie was so beautifully lit around them. So I don't know who did the lighting or the cinematography for the movie, but they did an amazing job. I think that was probably my favorite part mm. of the film. I think Melina did good. Mm-hmm. I think this felt very formation for me in right. some points. So she knows she does have a music video background mm-hmm. um, and it did feel that way in some of the um, driving scenes and some of the aerial shots and some of that stuff. And so I think it just comes, I don't think she did a terrible job, but was I blown away by her directing? No. Um, but I think that's just fair. I don't, like I said, I don't think it was terrible but i think it was cool i think for her first narrative full-length film it was a excellent like try and it was an mm-hmm. excellent like effort so i will say i agree with you i don't think lena knew what to do with the end of the film and mm-hmm. i think so i first heard of queen and slim i went to the la film festival last year last september flex um <laughs> <laughs> and not well it was like a really short trip in it I'll talk about that one another time. I saw a movie, <laughs> went there specifically to see a movie, and it was terrible, and it was... Anyways. Oh. So I saw Lena Waithe. She was taping a live podcast, and she brought up Queen and Slim. And this is the first time I think anybody from the audience reaction and her, um, the host reaction, who was Jason Simeon, who was one of her... Justin Simeon, excuse oh, me, yeah. from Joe White who's one of yes. her best friends. Right. This was, like, one of his first times hearing about it, too. Mm. She was explaining the thing, and she did the premise, like, okay, these two people go on a date. Boom, boom, boom. They get over from the police. Boom, they shoot the cop and then boom and then everybody was like right. what what happened next and so she was actually still writing queen and slip as mm-hmm. of this time last year and they quickly after that she mentioned like they were going to cast at the time daniel kaluuya i think she wanted him but he wasn't like obviously cast but she wanted him to play slim but she wanted to cast a fresh new face specifically a dark-skinned black woman with natural hair um and jody fixed that fits that perfectly so she knew what she wanted to do with the movie but i do agree i don't think she knew how she wanted to end it and i do think that they turned that movie around very quickly from the Mm -hmm. time that i heard her talk about it and then they were like oh we're filming and then i'm like oh shit like the the (laughs) script is done like she was just writing it um i do think that it would have been believable for them to i mean are we spoiling or not for them for the ending to be different right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. because they kept bringing up asada shakur Mm, and i do think that it would have been a nice payoff 
for the movie to end in a similar fashion and they could have still been as iconic because what is Asada Shakur now to black people is she's an icon she Mm. is a revolutionary icon the same as Angela Davis the same as Huey P. Newton anybody who is familiar with that time and is well read and and well versed in that period of Black Panther Fred Hampton you know she's up there with those names so I don't think you have to die necessarily (laughs) to be iconic right and I think the way it was even presented on screen is one of the reasons why I won't watch it again like it was very 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 visceral very shocking like I literally jumped yeah. and I rarely physically jump in films but I yeah. literally jumped when the ending was taking too. place more than once because it was like what is happening you mm-hmm. didn't know what was about to unfold even when it starts to unfold you're like what the fuck and then the way it happened too kind of pissed me off I'm not mm. gonna lie like that the was way yeah the, the way the, like the selling out yes yeah yeah. Because black people were helping them the whole way and then I didn't know I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Still. So I've recently seen Queen Islam, but still a little bit processing about how that ended. But I will say one of the things I left with was like, bruh, Lena Waith can write her ass off. Cause some of the stuff they were saying in that movie, I was like, This is very good dialogue between these characters. Like even if I didn't like the movie, I loved hearing them go back and forth. I was like, Lena Waithe can write a fucking script. Mm. And I think I got that from the Thanksgiving episode, like of, of all the characters that were going back and forth. Of course. So I don't think I was expecting it to be bad, but when you watch when you write a movie, it's very different, right? So mm. I think Daniel Kaluuya definitely added to the role, but even like the Bokeem Woodbine, like mm-hmm. her and her uncle, that dynamic. I was like, mm-hmm. bruh, like Lena Waithe. I think, you know, there were obviously some things I didn't like about the writing, but I think she's like, I want to see more features from her. Like, I want to see her mo- writing more fully. I want to see it evolve. Because mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest thing I got from Queen and Slim was like her writing. I really, really enjoyed. I really enjoyed her writing to black people mm-hmm. in this intimate, you know, setting and Bo King being. I keep mentioning Bo King because he was so dynamic to me. Like he was a shitty, <laughs> he played a shitty man, but for reasons. And um, it was a tribute. I think she said to Jason's lyric. Have you ever seen the movie, mm-hmm. movie Jason's lyric? He was mm-hmm. in that. And she said she thought this is what his his character and Jason's lyric. Okay, this movie is like 100 years old, so you should have seen it. He dies. <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. Bokeem dies in Jason lyric. Um, but she said this is the character that would have become if he wouldn't have died. So it was that. kind of a tribute to him specifically. That's a deep cut. Yeah. And even, even though I was looking at it, I was like, okay, the house that they're living in is very similar. And the setup was very like, I was like, okay, I can see it. Him being that like uncle. So it was very, I thought there was some, there was pieces of beauty in this. I think it was a beautiful mess in a lot of ways, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I overall I enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the better things that I've saw besides the indie. I thought it was one of the better things that I've seen this year. I didn't hate it though. Mm-hmm. The part about the boy at the protest mm-hmm. and the end, um, I'll kind of like bucket those together as mm-hmm. maybe things that could have been different yeah. or we're not sure why those decisions mm-hmm. were made. Um, and like, I think that they add the necessary friction of that there is still this bigger framework that is super complicated and two people can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And even if things start to go one way, it's still not going to work. And and uh, if they do inspire people to um, to to take action, um, that is that the right answer, mm-hmm. or should they, you know? be free or you know face the circumstances of 
the inevitable continuation of police brutality like Mm -hmm. there's like a it it fluctuates between like um a hopefulness and then a reality um and i think that anything was on the table in terms Mm -hmm. of what could happen which is what makes the movie you know exciting and interesting so i'm not like i'm personally upset and um got caught crying at the end of this movie (laughs) but um but i think that uh, any way that those things would have gone just made it more mm-hmm. muddled about there isn't you know like a, a a good way for anything to go in the situation. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of okay with those decisions. If anything, I thought that the 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 situation with the the child at the protest was um, was good because things were kind of like going too well for a while, and it was like, well, where is this inevitably going to end? Like, what is mm-hmm. if we continue this conversation? What's going to happen next? And it's like, okay, that's not going to work either. Um, so kind of going down these roads of possibilities, mm-hmm. um, would it have been nice to have um, some sort of, I don't know, uh, ending that felt better? I don't know how to not spoil this movie, but yeah. like, but at the same time that takes away from the, the reality of the situation. And, and maybe that the thing is, when you said the audience isn't us, Jason, like maybe it is. And maybe like needing to feel that way is important because we are the audience that needs to know that 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 there is no good solution the way things are right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah the boy scene is is a lot um and yeah to your point i didn't like super hate the ending i just was wishing it went sure and i think to jason's point i don't know if it was necessary i think that's the question like was it necessary for it to end that way or to receive like this because i think the whole thing was iconic right Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was like to be this like legend or whatever, and you know to be this sort of symbol that they kind of created through their journey. It's like, and they even had those discussions, right? It's like, what you know? How do you see this ending? Like, what does legacy mean to you? Like, oh, I'm I'm good if my family knows who I am, and right. all these other things. And so, I think it was also unexpected in a way. Like, it was very like shocking, and uh, yeah. So I don't I don't know if it was absolutely necessary for it to end that way, and I. But I can see why it... I mean, I understood it. Part of me wonders if there was uh, a fear of responsibility if Mm -hmm. it did end in a way of them being heroes. I mean, it still does. If there was any kind of like aftermath from the film that that they were maybe afraid of being associated with. Mm, Yeah. I do think... I wish they would have showed more news coverage. That was the one thing I was Mm. missing when they were on the run. It's like, I wish they would have... They kind of had bits and pieces like on the radio, but I wish they would have shown more news coverage in the film and i think that was might have been a director's call so i think yeah i I don't i'm not sure but i I was i was kind of hoping for that like this like ooh, like on the run type thing like what's going on in the news Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. i was kind of waiting for that anchor too Mm -hmm. to like what else is like you just need that counter narrative to like go along with the one of them charging ahead into this unknown territory but there was a really pivotal news part where they talked about the cop's background Right, yeah, yeah, there was that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, they ran into a cop. <laughs> right. Well, it was so a lot going on. <laughs> that brings me to this. So I, I, found a, I found a review I was reading earlier today that kind of summed up some of my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it said, Queen and Slim relies on implied action and expository backstory. So several emotional beats aren't given the appropriate context to feel as meaningful as the film wants them to be. The stakes of Queen and Slim's pursuit aren't felt because we're rarely given a window into how the police are hunting for mm-hmm. them. Even the folk legend that's going around them is cordoned off to throwaway lines and mm-hmm. doesn't seem to affect the main character's growth. For a film that's allegedly about uplifting the Black Lives Matter movement, Queen and Slim spends a weird amount of time generating sympathy for the police. 
With the exception of the mm. short-tempered profiler who incites the plot, the police characters in the movie are repeatedly shown to be decent, reasonable family men who are doing the best they can to do uh, to keep everyone safe. In one scene, an officer helps our central duo escape. A different officer calmly tries to save a young black boy during a chaotic protest. What reviews is Ye- from? Yet another officer <laughs> tearfully apologizes for the actions of his bad apple colleague and forgives the main character sight unseen for acting in self-defense. The convenience of all these scenes and more makes it clear that Queen and Slim is disinterested in interrogating systemic racism and policing as institutions. Wait. Where is this from? I'm confused about the... Breitbart? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, think I didn't even know they had a movie the, section. The Where part about the it's black cop letting them off, I can understand that a little bit. I don't know about the other instances. Though. The which one? The cop. The cop me? letting them off when they come oh, out yeah. of the house. Okay, like I don't know, if believable? Maybe not. Who cares? Yeah. Movie that... stuff, but. I don't know about the other... I'm trying to think about the other instances where they run into the cops. The one where he helps them at, in, in Kentucky? But he, they didn't know... He, they didn't know of each other then, though. And they still threw him out. Right. Like, they weren't... Yeah. It wasn't simple. I wouldn't feel bad for him. I think that they were trying to say that, like... Which, again, I think that the movie needs that back and forth. You have, like, one, one cop yeah. is just almost... Yeah really at one end of the spectrum yeah um really goes from a zero to 100 with no reason obviously than being racist right and then you have another cop who maybe if he was in uniform or saw things a little bit bit differently he would have been but in this circumstance he was a a nice guy and i don't i think that also makes it like builds attention of like them you know seeking help and then someone helps them but then i don't think they ever trusted any cop though no. I think because no. so I don't think the film built sympathy in that way. It's like some cops are good because I don't think cops were ever trusted in the movie at all. Like as soon as they found out Kentucky was a cop, they nuked that in the butt real quick. As soon as the cops showed up to Bokeem's house, they nuked that in the butt real quick. Like I don't think they right. were ever trusting black or not. Like right. they thought they were going to jail when bro opened up that door. Like I don't know about the sympathy part. Like I don't know about because even. I think, but I think to our point though, I think if we would have saw more of that, like when he calls his dad and the FBI is like at mm. his house mm-hmm. and they're pissed off, right? I think if we would have saw more of that news coverage and that kind of visceral reaction, it would have kind of balanced it a little bit more, maybe from the sympathetic ass point. But I didn't, I didn't get the sympathy cup thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the so the correct name is J M Mutore, and it was for um, Birth Movies Death, which is um, Alamo's. Uh, uh, film mm. review uh site i didn't know they had one yeah is alamo showing this movie uh i think so okay. oh cool. uh yeah they, they have like a whole their reviews are not like marketing reviews they're like mm-hmm. hard-hitting yeah um but i think he was just saying that most of the cops are portrayed in a positive light aside from the one who who incites the whole thing because like they there is a the cop that lets them go mm-hmm. and there's a cop who apologizes to them and there's like the cop who in the scene with the kid mm-hmm. is like is like really trying to be just like hey like let me, let's not do this yeah. like it's totally cool um so i yeah so i think that's the the point he was making but mm-hmm. but yeah i, I mean like yeah i i think that it also you know two of those show the what must be incredibly uh, difficult situation of being a black cop in America, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, especially in in that particular context, right? You're you're in the middle of you know policing a riot that's about police violence. Um, it, it it's a, it's also a, an important piece of the story that needs to be told because yeah. it's a, it's not an insignificant portion of the police mm-hmm. force. Well, yeah, I think I agree with with what Ashley was saying earlier about like just big picture. I do think the movie is a beautiful mess. 
Um, I do think it shows a lot of great promise from both Lena as a feature film writer and Melina as a feature director. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, she Melina gets all the credit for how good the movie looks. Like, obviously, she's brought I and mean, she's the foremost music video director of our time, and she brings all of that amazing um, visual style to mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here. I I, I don't. I, 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 yeah, I don't know that it all works, but I think there's there's enough there certainly um, to to make it uh, uh, worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's a consume. For me, it's a binge it. I'm gonna. It's a black movie. It's gonna be a binge it for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a black movie. It is not trash. Um, no, because I think I think it's important to just watch it. Like I think. For me, it was just like, okay, I can see what they're doing here. And I love, like, not for nothing, like, Lena is Lena Waithe now. Like, she's a thing, but this is her first feature movie. And, like, you know, I've been a huge proponent of, like, go see, like, black women making their first films. Like, and so, even if you don't like Queen and Slim, like, go support it. Like, because they need, Mm -hmm. you know, Lena Mm -hmm. Waithe is still very much green in this business, even though we know her as this huge entity now. And so I would say go see it. Even Melina, right? Like, she's Mm -hmm. been directing music videos for a very long time, but she's still very green in this sort of landscape. So I would say go see it. I would say especially, like, if you are not, um, if you are not a black person in America, uh, if, if you you should see Get Out and you should see this one. I think that they both show you an experience that you don't know, and it's important to 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 watch in a way that Harriet kind of wastes its time. So Tet Ratcliffe did the cinematography in this movie. I remember that name. I remember looking it up and being like, "Well, that's a name." <laughs> <laughs> yes. So shout out to them. Tat Ratcliffe. Tat. T-A-T. Tat Ratcliffe. Now we'll never forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're at the last movie of the month, Mm -hmm. which is Marriage Story. A stage director and his actor wife struggle through a grueling coast-to-coast divorce that pushes them to their personal and creative extremes. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson is in it, so we can preface it by saying that, but don't let that deter you. (laughs) (laughs) She does order a Chinese chicken salad. She She does does play a black cop, so... (laughs) Yes, very on par for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a movie that this is the only movie that I saw at Mill Valley this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the latest by Noah Baumbach, uh, who previously has made movies like The Squid and the Whale, and uh, and then he once he partnered up with Greta Gerwig, they made Francis Ha, uh, and uh, and this is a movie, however, um, about his life before Greta Gerwig. This is a movie that is in, uh, inspired by his. Marriage to and divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee. What? Yeah. When you say partner with Greta Gerwig, you mean like professionally or romantically? Both. Gotcha. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, they were. No, Obamak was married to Jennifer Jason Lee. They have uh, at least a kid, and uh, and this was, and she comes from the same kind of showbiz family that Scarlett's character comes from in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she also has a, Jennifer Jason Lee's father was an actor who infamously was actually killed while shooting the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, very grim story there. Um, and uh, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, parallels between this movie and, and Noah Baumbach's own divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee. Now as Jason Jennifer Jason Leroy, how yes. do you feel about that connection? <laughs> I mean obviously I feel innately protective of my namesake. <laughs> Fair enough. She's terrible and atypical. Uh, she oh I haven't seen atypical. She's not a terrible actor, but her character is terrible. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that show yet. I generally, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I 
have loved Jennifer Jason Lee for many years. And uh, and he says Noah Baumbach has said that he has shown her the movie and that he has said that she liked it. But he I think he's generally keeping right. he doesn't want to like put her opinions mm-hmm. out there. How nice of him to cast himself as Adam Driver. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's there's a lot that's been made about how like, you know, it's great that this movie goes to such great lengths to sort of tell both sides of the story, but it does feel like slightly on Charlie's side, the, the mm-hmm. Adam Driver character, more mm-hmm. than the Nicole character, who's played by Scar- Scarlett Johansson. Um, would you agree, Rebecca? Do you think it's more on Charlie's side? Yeah, I think I, I read the article about Adam Driver in The New Yorker that came out like maybe two weeks ago, and they talk about it as being like Kramer versus Kramer, but with like more showing of Nicole's side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was expecting more, and yeah. it was definitely... Um, yeah, I found that wasn't the case. Yeah, because Kramer versus Kramer famously uh, relegated Meryl Streep's character to a very m- marginalized part of the movie mm-hmm. and kind of depicted her as just like this bitch uh, who was just making Dustin Hoffman's life miserable mm-hmm. yeah. and fighting for the custody of the kid. Yeah, I wasn't as big of a fan of that movie as everybody. I think also I saw it when I was older. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm a fetus when it comes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wasn't as big of a fan. Yeah. For that reason in particular. And that's always been thought of as the definitive divorce movie. Right. And uh, I, I just looked up the death of Jennifer Jason Lee's father. Oh, yeah. It, it was bad. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll take it <laughs> offline. Guys, if you want to see something upsetting, you can Google it. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's on Wikipedia. It's, yeah. Uh, so, but. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so Kramer vs. Kramer has always been thought of as the definitive divorce movie. Mm-hmm. That and Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> nah, that, was, that was legit, though. Yeah. I mean, for our generation, certainly, yes. Mrs. Doubtfire was what we were watching growing up. Yes. and uh, Again, sympathetic to the father. Yes, again, yes. sympathetic to the father. Which is wild, because I think in real life, people tend to be more sympathetic to the when kids right. are involved right, to the mother. way more sympathetic to like the mother yeah. and certainly like, on the court on like the legal side almost yeah always. for sure they're like no you need everything mm-hmm. like okay right. the father doesn't really need to see the kid that much right. you know and so male filmmakers are like we need to tell the man right. side of this story you know <laughs> because, women women got it all in real life let's show how hard it is for the right men. because <laughs> we have it so easy right precisely precisely <laughs> Uh, so this is I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire when it came out and I was at the time that it came out my parents were divorcing and I remember like watching it and being like I didn't understand why the kids wanted their parents to get back together because in my case I was like this is for the best right <laughs> let's go our let's, separate let's just yeah let's keep it moving yeah um, and uh, so uh, and, and in this I at least appreciated that there was not like there's no kind of schmaltzy sentimental like let's get back together push like if anything this movie is about how like a divorce can start is something that seems very simple mm-hmm. um, and then it just gets progressively more harrowing and draining and toxic and destructive mm-hmm. as it as it proceeds but this at the end of the day is still what was the right choice yeah uh, so it, and it's a movie that brings up I think probably a lot of personal issues for a lot of people a lot of people are children divorced. A lot of people have been divorced. Yeah. You know, at this very table. <laughs> Tag yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I I didn't know all of that backstory about it. So, I'm glad, again, I'm glad I did it. Um, but I do think, so, obviously, Bombach is the one telling the story. So, he's going to be like, you know, I'm going to make <laughs> the movie that I want to make. Which I think all filmmakers should do when they're telling their own story. Right. Like, 
make yourself look the best possible. <laughs> um, like I said, Adam Driver, I don't know if you've seen what Noah Baumbach looks like, but <laughs> he's about five feet shorter. Um, he... <laughs> He does not look like Adam Driver. And also, shout out to Adam Driver's agent. Because watching the first season of Girls, Mm. I would have never thought that Adam Driver would be the Mm. person to come out of that show and be what he is today. So, shout out to him for being a great actor. And also his agent for doing an amazing job. Yeah, whoever would have thought that he'd become like one of the preeminent actors of his generation. Yeah, he's dope. And he's good at it. Like, He's he's good. One of the best. So he was my favorite part of this whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really a Scarlet fan. And I think even if I'm not a fan of hers, like I thought the acting, we discussed this, it was just okay to me. Like mm-hmm. it was, she was whatever to me. I did think she was gaslighting him as a character a little bit in the movie sometimes because so it's a part in the movie where she initially goes to the, the lawyer, like obviously played by Laura Dern, who plays the exact <laughs> same character she is in Big Little Lies. Preach. Um, yes. <laughs> she plays a great bit, the same yes, character. Literally the same character. And she tells the story of like how they met and who she was before they met. And then tries to tell him a little bit later that that was like the total, like a totally different version of it. So I'm like, you were telling your lawyer like you were engaged to this one person and then you didn't find yourself or whatever the case was. So then you went to Charlie and you were sort of in this thing, right? And then you're trying to tell him like, oh, that was never the case. Like I was always on your terms, but you didn't tell that same story kind of to the lawyer. So I was like, is she gaslighting him right now trying mm-hmm. to make him feel like sort of felt very like it also felt very actory in that way because we kind of hear these stories of like actors doing this a lot where they're so in their head that they can't really realize like what they're projecting kind mm-hmm. of outwardly too and i don't think adam driver's character was without fault at all but it did seem very like messy of her to kind of like have these version of events that she knew in her heart was true but then sort of project a totally different like story when it came to like interacting with him in a way and I don't know if she was doing that to try to protect herself like from being vulnerable and kind of being honest with herself like I'm unhappy because of things that I just didn't want anymore so I'm going to project it on you and be like you always were the one that made me unhappy you know and it was like so I, I did feel bad for Adam Driver's character, even though that was the way the movie was made. But like, I kind of saw, even I was telling you at the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm not really buying what she's trying to sell right now. It's all seemed mm. a little bit, I'm sure. But I've also never been married. I've never been in this situation. So I don't, divorce is hard. And yeah. she, Ray Liotta was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Alan Alda? Alan Alda. Oh, Alan Alda. Mash. What a nice Which surprise. I'll, also, his, Alan Alda, I would say, Alan Alda's just walking onto screen made you both go, yes. what? Yes, he's so joyous, you know? He is. He got I an mean, applause break from you two just by walking into the, the movie. The same reaction every time I see Dick Van Dyke. I'm like, hey! Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, I love that he was wearing like a green sweater because mm. Alan Alda is real life Kermit the Frog. Yes. Um, also, <laughs> So Wallace Shawn was in this movie, which gives the credibility as a, as a New York theater movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dick Van Dyke also gives me that. Hilarious. When was he just in? It was, it was like Mary Poppins Mary Returns. Mary Poppins, yeah. Of and he was the best thing about that movie really by was. far. He really was. Also, just quickly going to digress to one um, uh, actress we didn't talk about from Queen and Slim, uh, Flea and Chloe Sevigny. Oh. Yes! <laughs> so, Flea, yes. Like, and apparently you said he 
he's been in a bunch of he movies that in, I haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas Hedges movie. Um, the one where he goes to the conversion camp. Oh, right. He was in Boy Erased. Yeah, that's right. He played like a, yeah. a creepy security right, guard. Right. He's into playing this like southern ripped um, yeah. Always intense ripped. guy. Yeah. I mean, all of the members of like Red Hot Chili Pepper are oddly old and ripped and you're just yes. like, live your best life. <laughs> old man strength is definitely something that's yes. a, in a lot of these movies. <laughs> old man strength for old sure. Old man strength. And, and back to Mary's story. Yes. yes. <laughs> this movie becomes incredibly complicated because of the fact that they had this kid and they uh, are you know lived in New York she wants to go back to LA and that really is so much of what the movie is about and I think that if that moving hadn't been a part of their story then this maybe could have been solved in a much more simple way um, I, in that interview with Adam Driver he talks about how and this is mentioned in the movie where he wants his son to know that he like fought for him mm. and that he like went through all this to get him but like in in all the fight it's not really about the son at all right like Mm-mm. i think it's very clear that it's about him adam driver's character not wanting to leave new york yeah um and i don't know if it's necessarily just not wanting to leave new york or that that indicates an actual end to the relationship he doesn't want things to change the way that they've always been that they've mm-hmm. always been in an apartment and once this thing like changes that dramatically things can absolutely never go back to the way that they used to be mm-hmm. um also it's scary yeah it's very scary and um there's like a finality to it that i i think is hard to um you know things kind of roll along a little bit at a time and then a decision is made where it's like okay now everything is actually changed and different and over and i think that was was part of what he was having a hard time with so i think in watching the processing of that one aspect of this divorce you really saw that um you know it was a part where you're not as sympathetic sympathetic towards him because you can see how maybe passively stubborn he's been for years mm-hmm. and um and just not realizing how things were going to change or needed to change um until this like dramatic act and then yeah. even again after you know talking in about divorce again it needed lawyers to make him actually change mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. Well, laura dern has that one great line where she's like oh i see so when it's something that nicole wants mm. it was a, just a conversation a yeah but when it's something you want it was an agreement right I feel so seen by that character, um, <laughs> the Adam Driver character. I think that like, yeah, there there are people who who move in life doing the things they want to do, and there are people who um, like doing things around people who like to do things. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, that's gendered in our society, and and that's an important factor. And I think we see that here. But also, I think that people kind of get comfortable in those roles, and until you something happens that shakes you up seeing that you've fallen into those roles builds resentment on both sides mm-hmm. either you've been like you never told me this the whole time or um you have you've wasted the past 10 years of my life or or whatever um but it's hard to recognize those things about yourself as you're going along until you know it becomes this breaking point and i think that that made the the relationship of the uh, their relationship really relatable mm-hmm I agree. And I think you definitely spoke to what I was trying to (laughs) articulate earlier is like the accountability portion, right? Mm -hmm. And like seeing your place in that. Cause I, and I do think in the movie, Driver's character gets to that a little quicker than Scarlett. I don't know if Scarlett ever admits actually the 
accountability portion of it ever no she seems to put it all on yeah him. Like, you made the choice to yeah. support him you made the choice to do these yeah, things you yeah. could have not it, yeah and it's like yeah it was it was not a stockholm syndrome type mm-hmm. of thing like even she says like he's not abusive he's not so it, it kind of became this weird dynamic where it was like so what are you exactly saying and i think i just never got that payoff and maybe it was a directing or writing thing where we just never got that backstory and there was maybe a rush to get into the divorce because the whole movie is about the divorce we kind of start off at the at the mm-hmm. divorce they're about to get a divorce um and so maybe we just didn't get that part of the story and we're kind of like inferring but yeah. i don't know i wonder if part is honestly i think probably in the stories of a lot of straight divorces that is the narrative though mm-hmm. is that the woman is like all i have given everything and i have been i have been my agency has been sort of compromised by this marriage and it's all about where the husband wants to live and where the husband wants to go and what the husband wants to do. And so I think you know, for a lot of divorces, the woman, and you know, straight divorces, the woman does feel like this is me reclaiming the space mm-hmm. in my life that I've had to cede yeah. to this man. Mm-hmm. And that is the case in this movie where she's like, I've been wanting, I'm from LA, my family's in LA, I want to raise my child in LA. And I've been trying to fu- get you to come back to LA for the last 10 years mm-hmm. and you have ignored me and you have treated it as just like, uh, oh yeah, we were, yeah, we discussed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that you want have taken precedent. Yeah. So I, I do wonder if on some level that is relatable to a lot of women who've been through divorce, but I agree that it's weird that it seems like Nicole as a character doesn't have to cede any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Um, aside, like in a, in a way that Charlie has to be held accountable mm-hmm. for various things about that he did in the marriage. Nicole doesn't seem like it seems more that like whenever they fight and they and they get personal with each other, which there is a fight scene in this movie that's one of the most intense fight scenes between a couple that you'll ever see in any movie. Um, it seems like his attacks against her aren't about things that she did. It's like personal attacks. Mm-hmm. It's like you're a hack. You're you know like you. Because her character started off in like a teen movie or something, and then she latched herself to him and became thought of as more serious. And so, but it's not about like what you did to me. And so it does seem like he's the only character who's has to like be held accountable. And maybe that's actually Noah Baumbach trying to like do a solid to Deborah Jason Lee, mm-hmm. uh, being like, "Here, I'm just going to own my shit. Like this mm-hmm. movie's about this movie's going to be about my character yeah. owning his shit, as opposed to yeah. like you know, and also here's all your dirty laundry." Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It also just I don't think it did a great job of making me care. Mm. <laughs> mm. I was just like, mm, okay. Yeah, I feel similarly. (laughs) Um, It was, do we call it the poor man's Fosse Verdon? I don't know. I just did. That's a crazy thing to say. (laughs) That's a crazy thing to say. There's so much dialogue in this movie. I know as soon as it was over, you're like, that was long. Their monologues were too much. Yeah, it Um, was. Yeah, the monologues were. Yeah, even her monologue at the at the lawyer's office mm-hmm. i was like okay wrap this up sis like <laughs> that's hilarious see for me i'm just sitting there in awe yeah. of like oh my god she memorized so yeah. much no um, but then it was also like the camera was just sitting so mm-hmm. i think some of the directorial choices too didn't make me care enough as well like where it's just her disappearing and all you hear are the bathroom noises and she comes out so i guess it's supposed to be like laura dern i guess looking in that direction but it was I don't know. I think some of the choices were odd. Like, we didn't need a close-up of Laura Dern's uh, Louboutins when she took them off and her feet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, some of those things were just very awkward to me. I don't know. I didn't get it. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't get it. It felt very... Um, it felt very... I don't know how to how to put it. Acting. 
No. Stagey. 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 Yeah, yeah, it felt very, yeah. but not in a good way. Because mm. yeah. I think stagey can be good sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is kind of a stagey movie. Um, it reminds me of all movies I can compare it to. For some reason, it reminds me the most of Parenthood with Steve Martin from the 80s. Mm-hmm. It reminds me the most of that in terms of like the how deep it gets on family issues while still kind of keeping it light. Like it, it, it does like the constant back and forth seesaw of like a really intense, hard hitting emotional scene followed by a really funny scene. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. hilarious. It, it is unexpectedly hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, there are some, some funny parts. <laughs> there are some centerpiece scenes. Like, yeah. There are some showcases in this yeah. movie that are yeah. just impeccably done. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. Well, I I think that you know it sounds like we had different experiences in the movie between the three of us. Question: it, What oh. did you think about the the sun? I felt like while I I it it could have easily been a problem if he was like too cloying and too like precious. Mm-hmm. I found him almost like too far in the other direction where I I didn't care about him at all. Um, he just seemed like a little brat. And it was, it didn't, he had such an important part of the story. Yeah, like, he's, no. he's the reason these things are so tense. <laughs> he's in the middle of this, like... So you're like, hey, you little shit. Right. Yeah, this is because of you. That's, That's why his parents talk you. to him like that, because he don't listen. Right. <laughs> but it was, like, it was, like, so nothing there. I mean, I guess I didn't mind that. Rebecca's like, I fucking hate that kid. It's a bad <laughs> performance. That kid should never work again. It might have been the actor, making too. Making fun like, of, like, yeah. uh, child actors again. Because that oh, one yeah, deserves that. the LaBeouf treatment, for sure. <laughs> that kid. I mean, to me, I appreciate To me, it felt very naturalistic. To me, it's like they didn't try to really write a character for the kid. He was just, like, a kid. Yeah. Was, yeah. Like, it, it just didn't matter. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. have, like, I, I'm glad they didn't try to give him any, like, speeches. Like, but daddy, no, where's of, cor- my- of course. Yeah. Yes. Big, you know, yeah. puppy yeah. eyes. No, we don't need that. Yeah. So to me, to me, he was just like just a, a kid yeah. who was convincingly his age, who didn't yeah. really understand what was happening, yeah. and was just like gradually getting resentful right. in a, what felt like a very natural way about mm-hmm. like his life being disrupted and all the back and forth. Yeah, yeah. which was interesting. Yeah. So I think there was a disconnection there, maybe. Like so, to Rebecca's point, he was he was brought up as being such a focal point, but then it was kind of a disconnect between how he was interacting with the parents. But then also they made Adam Driver seem like his whole life in New York. And then it was a quick change yes. when they went yeah. to L.A. And that kind of threw me off, too. because I was like, wait, what's going on here? So I was like, how long have they been in L.A.? Like, you know, like at this point, the Adam Driver visits, they don't really catch us up on that. It's kind of like they're in L.A. And then he's disconnected. It's like a week goes by, a month goes by, two days go by. Like, how long is this period where he doesn't see the sun? Mm. Yeah, and maybe like the kid being so um, insufferable is um, <laughs> is purposeful in that you know, when you do see the intro flashback, it's like you know him and Adam Driver reading on the bus together, doing this together, mm-hmm. like them being really close, and then he goes there and she says he's having like a mommy period, um, and he like doesn't want to see Adam Driver at all. So Adam Driver's like flying to California to see this kid and the relationship. Oh, so you they have limited like, time. You feel like be appreciated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like why don't you have it? But then it doesn't. It doesn't re- it, no. You I get are it. grateful, okay, little I get shit. It. This is the point of the movie. <laughs> this is what they're trying to say. I get it, but it was yeah. okay. I mean, thing, pro- like, we just watched it. The likability yeah, yeah, yeah. of the kid doesn't it. change anything for the parents. It's not yeah. like the parents no, aren't going like, to fight well, over them if he's like a shithead. Because he's a little shithead. I <laughs> just forget. Rebecca, like, like, what I'm saying, what I take issue with is the unconditional love that these parents show for that kid who does not deserve it. Forty-five minutes long. The kid starts acting like a fool. He just cuts off to New York, saves himself like forty. Rebecca would have been like, "You can have him." Right. Just, <laughs> Actually, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Enjoy growing up in LA. Enjoy the space. 
the space. The space. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on this movie? Should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Is it a consume or is it a binge it? For me, it's a binge it. For me, it's going to be for sure in my top 10 of the year. Mm. It's a binge it. Yeah, the acting is. You have to see Adam Driver in this movie. Adam Driver And is, it's also beautiful. Yeah. It's the apartment I've always wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even without the space. I love that New York apartment. Are you talking about the LA one? No, the New York one. I like the New York yeah. one too. Every time they show New York apartments, though, I'm like, can this person actually afford this yeah. in real life? Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, yeah. I don't want to get off topic. Yeah. How uh, rich were they? I, I was. Know. I could not figure that the out. The finances at all. were sketchy. Yeah. Very sketchy. Um, uh, I might. This might be a put it back for me, only because I didn't care about it after watching it. Mm. Like, could I have went this whole year without having seen that? Yes, and I still would have loved Adam Driver. That said, if you're an Adam Driver fan go see it even if you're not this probably will turn you into an adam driver fan i think he was fantastic he was the clear standout for me there's some great 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 cameos in it or guest appearances i'll say because they're in it for more than two seconds but yeah i think there's some fantastic and funny scenes consume i guess but for me it just didn't pull me like what i have paid to go see this probably not it's gonna be on netflix right, be on netflix yeah. so consume so, it for free yeah yeah there it is. <laughs> If it had been another actress, I think it would have been like a binge plus. Yes. Who would yeah, you like I to mean, have seen in this? I do feel like I will say that like I think this tests the limits of Scarlett Johansson's strength, uh, talent. Like she's yeah. I think she's still, Scarlett Johansson is a is a very good actress, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I do feel like this pushed her past the limits of what she can do. And Adam Driver is is so just psychotically good in this mm-hmm. that like it's it you need to have somebody who can do what he does mm-hmm. and I don't know that she does and mm-hmm. even just image wise you have someone who is like so beloved right now and someone who like you're instantly questioning <laughs> I sort of like yes. in my mind, I did the debate in my mind where I was like oh I don't I, I have a bias I'm coming to this with a yes. bias against her and then I'm like oh but I really loved her as like the mom and Jojo Rabbit so right. let me try to work that energy into my, my, my viewing of this who do you who would you have cast as her Oh, I mean, that's a good question. Greta Gerwig? No. No, let's no, not, please. No. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. I mean, my mind goes to... Weirdly, I'm going to one of the one of my favorite breakout stars of this year, Jesse Buckley from Wild Rose. Uh, okay. So I feel like... But yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's a great question. I was thinking about that when I was watching it, too. I was like, who is an actress who would have just broken this right off? And... Um, Kristen Bell. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on, a, I'm on a good place kick right now. Oh my god! Uh, no, I think the Sarah act- Paulson. Oh no, I hate the way she speaks. <laughs> she has like a lisp thing that's like happening. Mm. Oh my god! She has a weird teeth. Like you know how Christian Bill has like weird mouth thing right, when I know, he speaks. Yeah, she has, she like, has that. She has oh, Drew, yeah. Barrymore, Drew Barrymore mouth. Yeah. It's, ugh, no, please spare me the monologues with that. One. <laughs> Have a um, goo goo. Yeah, biracial. It was a random biracial couple that I did not get into the Halloween scene. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Where's this black kid coming from?" And then I put it together, like, "Oh, that's her sister's kid with the black guy." I was like, "Where's this yeah. black kid coming from?" Okay. Oh my god. All right. Well, that's a wrap. We just did it. That was a marathon. <laughs> that was uh, a lot. Ashley, thank you so much thank for coming you. back thank and you. spending time with us again. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Um, no, I don't have anything going on. I'm in school, so I don't have a lot going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. but watch Dolomite, something we didn't mm-hmm. talk about, but a fantastic right. film. 
Um, my name. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so you can watch it for the free if you got Netflix. Um, definitely tap into that. That's one thing I want to say. And then, again, to my point about Queen and Slam, you know, it's a first feature for these two black women, so uh go pay to go see it and support them even if you don't <laughs> even if you don't like the movie just just go see it yeah all right for sure that's it thank you so much for listening and honey boy and honey and boy, honey boy. <laughs> bye guys bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there, there goes, goes the, the binge, binge.